What's good, it's Darius. What's up, Ms. Matt? Yo, it's Josh. And you are now tuned in to the Dominate the Decade podcast. Let's go. I'm trapped in. I'm trapped in, I know it. Hey, I know I'm trapped. I'm trapped. I'm trapped. I know I'm trapped. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look. I heard my nigga talking about me. Whisper getting close. Uh, nigga, same breaking bread. I don't even know you. Good, bruh. Another day, another dollar. How about you, man? So, as y'all know, I started at Walmart this week. I've been working 4 a.m. to 1 p.m. Sheesh. Every day. And it's. it's it's brutal, but like you said, another day, another dollar. So, that's a got to crawl to your ball. So, <laughs> that's a good expression. Hey, yo, I've been. I was telling the guys we've been watching the the Texans play, and we are officially zero two, and we do have to go to Pittsburgh next week. So this is not a good time to be a Texan. But I'm riding or dying with him. Shout out to Sean Watson. He had this. Yo, there's this picture of him. Uh, where how did it go? There's a picture of him today with the Royce Royce umbrella, Royce Royce umbrella. And then the caption was Rolls Royce umbrella. I'm hoping it rains, and I just felt that spiritually. I said, I got, I got to make more money. I need it. So yeah, that's how it go, man. That's a bar right there, man. But uh, hey, my Colts, we got one and one today. Uh, still, in, am not happy about the Philip River signing, although we did uh, win today. But more importantly, Celtics took a dub. We needed, needed, needed a dub, and we got it. <clears throat> so hopefully, we do the same tomorrow. Um, but, man, this really is, like, the perfect time of the year for sports, you know. Like, college football is back. I haven't really watched too much college football, but I really do love the fall time. I was telling my mom, fall time is peak uh, peak time for me, honestly. Like, my birthday and everything came up. But, man, that nip in the weather is also good, too. I don't know if y'all felt it or not. Yeah, no, I've definitely been feeling it. Like, you see, like, the straw coming down and it's getting a little bit cooler. As my boy TC used to say, <laughs> when it gets colder, you need somebody uh, to keep you warm. And what is it? Keep you warm in the cold. And then there's uh, obviously when it gets summertime, somebody to keep you cool. So it's about that time. Uh, hoodie sound, sweatshirt hoodie season as well. Yes. I, I got my hoodies on deck, bro. Don't worry. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so with the upcoming like fall season, you know, we're going to spend even more time inside. We won't even have uh the nice weather to go outside and do what we do so plenty of movies to watch plenty of tv to watch um yeah i mean like you said it's a great time for you know sports and everything a lot of athletes are doing a lot of really big things like naomi osaka she uh she just recently became the highest paid female athlete of all time uh doing a lot of really great stuff of all time hold on we gotta break that down because she's been in the major uh spotlight lately she's been doing some great things uh I mean, completely outside of her uh, dominance on the court, like the things that she's doing with social justice mm-hmm. and everything, she's really taken over. And the fact that she's only 22, that, that's crazy, guys. And the thing is that she's really operating in a predominantly white space is because, you know, the tennis sport. And so when you see her changing the mask with the different names on them, stuff like that, or even, did y'all hear what she told Tom Rinaldi? No, what she said? It was something, y'all, now this is not exact, but it's something in the ballpark of it. He's like, so what does all this stuff that you're doing mean to you? And she's like, well, what does it mean to you? And he's like, oh. <laughs> and it's like, you know, everybody on Twitter went crazy, like, talk your talk, talk your talk. But yeah, so <laughs> you love to see it. Yeah, I feel like that really is the most important part of it because I'm, I'm sure all of this stuff means a lot to her, but 
that what she's doing with her messaging with the different masks and everything it's like no i i need the people out there to really interpret what i'm saying this has to like reach the masses and everything so it really is on the other people that are receiving the messages too i agree yeah i saw another tweet that was like uh that she is what we were all hoping tiger woods would be because <laughs> like she's she's obviously mixed you know uh I believe her dad's Haitian and her mom's Japanese, but like she black. So like she's very un- unapologetically black. And I mean, and I'm not. If Tiger, if you're watching this, we know a lot of famous people watch the listen to the pod. If you're listening to this, like don't take offense to it. It's not my words. I'm just repeating it. But yeah, I've never really known him to be somebody to kind of like lean into his identity in that way, or even really speak up a whole lot on social justice issues. I could be wrong. I don't think I'm wrong, but I could be. But yeah, so like I said, it's very good to see, you know, someone with a platform and someone from her background, you know, speaking up and like being unapologetically herself, whatever that means for her. So. I would say especially in her prime too. So it's not like she's on the back end, like the whole Jordan sneakers thing. And it's like, now he's doing it. We're happy he's putting money or whatever, regardless. But it's like when she's in her prime, when people are talking about her, it's like now when you mention her name, you have to mention the social justice stuff that she's standing up for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fact. And I wouldn't even say that she's in her prime. Like, she's 22. That's crazy. Her career is just starting. So uh, you're automatically going to associate what she's doing now with her her entire career. And that's a really great thing, too, because, like you said, she's in a, a very white-dominated space. And the fact that she's in her lane dominating and still for the culture in such a unapologetic way, that is definitely something to look up to. So... Huge shout out to Naomi Osaka. Keep killing it. And then it's also interesting because Corday is kind of on his come up too, and they are dating. I think TMZ or somebody was like Corday and his wife, and everybody was like wife. Like I don't. I think it was a mistype. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody was kind of going off about that. But it's interesting too because obviously she grew up in tennis and probably learned about social justice things like that. But Corday grew up reading W.B. Du Bois and stuff like that. So with them two interacting so much, it's like he could really, like, give her a lot of game, uh, maybe, you know, iron sharpens iron. And so by the time it gets to the masses, it's like, here's everything y'all need to know. So shout out Corday. He, I think he's a friend of the podcast, we think. <laughs> Go check out his song with Roddy Rich, uh, Gifted. Yeah, huge shout out to uh, Corday. And it's like, that's what you look for in celebrity couples. Like, I'm not one to be on Instagram and social media and be like, oh yeah, they're so cute together, all this different stuff. Like celebrity culture, how some people uh, operate with it is just like, are, are you serious? But you love to see a, a black queen and a black king together and speaking for injustices and making their voices heard. heard and they're also so young too. So these guys are our, uh, our same age and they're really dominating the lanes that they're in. Uh, Matt, you alluded to her being the highest paid female sports figure, and she made $37.5 million last year. She surpassed uh, Serena as the highest paid female athlete. So, man, that talk about dominating the decade. She is definitely poised to dominate the decade. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Collecting all her coins. Need that. Need that. But yeah, so what have you guys uh, mostly been watching? Like, I know there's a lot of stuff going on TV right now. Um, any like movies, any TV shows that you guys are going through? But Darius, I know you're watching Lovecraft Country. Yeah, so I read Love Lovecraft Country. I was reading it while watching the series. A lot, definitely a lot. Overall, I would say that I definitely enjoy it. Um, but like I said, the book is very different from the movie. 
I would recommend both. Uh, I don't want to spoil it too, too much. But yeah, that's kind of what I've been on. That, going back and watching uh, stuff like Criminal Minds, a lot of these like black TV shows from the 90s, uh, the Netflix put on, also getting into a lot of those. Um, shout out to Netflix for, you know, uplifting the culture some more. Love to see that. I've been watching Power. Y'all know Power's back on. That's my show. I don't miss an episode. It's funny. Twitter be going crazy. If, like, the website's down at 12.15. It's like, we need Power. So I'm definitely on that. I've been watching Billions become recently one of my favorite shows to watch. So I watch that when I get a chance. And just a whole bunch of interviews trying to collect all the knowledge. Yeah. No, Billions is a great, great show. I'm actually uh, watching a little bit of that. As well as uh, I've been watching The Wire for like over half a year now just because like I don't know I'm very I'm, I'm very different with shows like I'll hop in a show and then I won't revisit it for like a month or two so I'm just very slow but uh just finished up season two of The Wire and was told that season two sets everything up so from here on out it's going to be like amazing and I know it's amazing it's already amazing but yeah that's what I'm watching right now <clears throat> funny that you say the wire i can never get past the first episode it just seems to me like it's like so slow and it's a lot of talking but now that i'm able to watch billions i think because billions can be kind of slow at times and they throw in some bs every here now you know for the viewers attention but like i think now might be in a better um space to watch it but today we are going to talk about a movie that we all watch there's you want to give them the name of the movie and a little bit of background yeah so uh the movie we decided to watch was green book it is based on the life of Don Shirley, who was a classical pianist uh, during the 1960s, African-American, very rich man, very, very much upper class. Uh, basically, the story that the movie kind of goes over uh, is his relationship with his driver, whose name was Tony. Tony Lip is, I think, his driver's name, like his nickname. He was like a white Italian dude, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh like I said, it's very, very rich black man, very much middle class, white Italian driver who's, uh, okay, so, so to back up a little bit, Don Shirley is doing a tour through the South. Obviously, he's a rich black man, can't drive through the South by himself, so he needs to hire a white driver so that he can get to where he needs to go safely, and so he basically, you know, puts out a call, a bunch of people show up, Tony Lip, uh, he's not in the mob, but he's, like, mob adjacent, uh, so he finds out, um, <laughs> ends up going through the whole interview, gets a job or whatever, is also like low-key but high-key racist. We'll get to that later. I was actually about to okay. stop you right there for a second because I want to throw it back to the beginning. It's crazy how things start. It's like, okay, the black guys are in there helping out the house and the white guy, what's the name? What's the name? Uh, I'm going to just keep calling him Tony. Yeah, Tony. So Tony sees that the black guys drink out of a, two glasses and he throws the glass away and it's like literally like maybe two scenes later he's asking for a job from a black person. Mm. Like, and, and you love to see that. Kind of, not, not, obviously, you don't love to see the racism. That is not what I'm saying here. But it's like, now you come to me for a job and I have to employ you. And I thought it was interesting that he even asked me, it was like, yo, do you mind working for a black person? And I think for him going into the pianist's house and seeing how like luxury he was living, it's like, oh, so black people do live like this. Yeah, he was definitely living in luxury. That's one of the things that I noticed immediately. And uh, let, let me back up here and say the movie, the cinematography in the movie was absolutely great. I really enjoyed that. Um, and that was on full display in this scene that you're talking about, Matt, whenever he, Tony, that is, first comes into the spot and he sees uh, 
he sees the other man he's who he's asking for a job and like I don't know if you guys noticed but it was like he was sitting on a throne a little bit mm -hmm. and like he was kind of looking down at Loved him it. like looked like he was royalty and yo he came draped out in all the gold all the different <laughs> robes and everything I was like oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> you already know what time it is Real Mansamutsa energy. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what I was thinking, as a matter of fact. I was like, that's, that's the energy that kind of reminded me of. And I knew as soon as whenever – all right, so we got Tony. And what's the black dude's name? Don. Don. So whenever Don told Tony that part of the job was going to be, like, shine his shoes, I was like, that's not going to work for Tony. I was like, there's no way in the world. Like, nope, no, nope, it's nah. not going to happen. And so he sent him on his way. But they end up uh, agreeing to – Tony end up agreeing to do the trip, I guess you could say, and mm -hmm. to be, take the job. And so they went on down, down the road, I guess you could say. Yeah. And they kind of get into like several different misadventures, I guess you could call them. A lot of stuff happens. Uh, I guess we'll get into individual instances in a second. But yeah, the movie is basically just about their relationship. It's characterized in the film that they were actually really good friends. But I mean, we'll talk about the historical accuracies or discrepancies rather, I should say. Like I said, in just a second, but it's about those two men, their relationship. Um, it's set during the 1960s, as I think I said before. And the title Green Book comes from, uh, I believe it was the, it was a Negro travel guide that was uh, sent out during the 19, like 50s and 60s that basically told black people where it was safe to like, you know, stay at a motel or like get something to eat or get gas. Because I mean, as a lot of us know, maybe some of us don't, I don't want to assume anybody's knowledge, uh, but it definitely wasn't safe to be a black person just anywhere, especially during the 1960s, arguably today. Well, not arguably, but anyway, again, off topic. But um, yeah, so basically there's this book and it just a list of different places throughout uh, the United States where it was safe to like stop, where it wasn't safe to stop. Also in the film, I thought it was very interesting that the roles were kind of flipped. Usually the African-American is the person that is kind of, I'm not gonna say country, but kind of maybe a little slang here or there. And the white person is usually correcting him. But in this role, in this movie, the roles were flipped. I thought it was absolutely hilarious the way that Don had to keep correcting Tony. Like uh, Tony would throw something out the window and Don would be like, stop and go and get, go back, go get it. And I thought for sure there that at some point, Tony was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Because he doesn't, he's a man's man from what I've, from what I noticed. And it's like, usually those kind of guys do not like to be corrected, but at the same time, he kind of needed the job. Yeah. Yo, when you were saying about the roles being flipped, I immediately uh, recognized that too. And it almost makes the film a little like, oh, this is so backwards, you know? It, it's kind of funny how backwards it is because there was even a line where, uh, Don was like, yeah, Tony, we're going to have to, like, change your last name. Like, not change it, but uh, maybe we can go with something else. And it's like, changing my last name? No, no, no. But there's so much historical context between that and, like, African-Americans having to change their name or forcibly be have their names changed. So I thought that was very interesting. And then you also see, like, all this different stuff where he's kind of parenting him a little bit he's like no 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 you should do this tony come on bro like you're better than this you know so it, it it was a weird dynamic but it was also a little refreshing to see but just also ironic to see 
it really showed whenever Tony was trying to steal. Well, I don't think he was trying to steal. He was taking the marble and putting it in his pocket. And Don's like, uh-uh, put it back. Mm-mm, that's not yours and stuff like that. So it was definitely parenting. And to give some backstory, Tony had been working at, like, bars all over. Is, this, is that New York? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Tony had, before they took the trip or whatever, he got hired for the job. He had been working in bars and stuff, and it showed how aggressive he was and how he, how he was able to get job the job done, which is part of the reason why Don hired him. Another thing I thought was interesting was like particularly, I guess the way that their relationship was kind of portrayed, and also like I after I watched the movie, I definitely went back and like tried to see like okay, well what was like the actual relationship with these two people because the movie portrays them being like you know really good friends, especially like after the fact like they stayed in each other's lives that whole thing. But I know that there was a lot of controversy around the movie when it came out. One because of like the whole like white savior complex type thing, which we'll talk about. Uh, but then also is the fact that, you know, Don Shirley, his family came out later and was like, yeah, we had nothing to do with this movie. Like, not only that, all of it was lies. Like, they weren't friends. They worked together, but that was about it. See, I thought that that was an interesting choice, too, simply because, I mean, they're both, well, I'm not going to say them both. Don was, like, definitely an interesting enough character to, like, tell, the, like, the accurate story and still, like, be a great movie or a better or an even better movie. But yeah, I think that was definitely like a very interesting choice to have made to characterize both of them in the way that they ended up characterizing them. But also not surprising, be it that the movie was directed by a white man and written by the son of Tony, who was also a white man. So, yeah. Wow. Uh, and, And we will talk about those inaccuracies, but those are the kind of things that you although they may be good movies it's like the context of them you're like wait a second like what's going on here and uh Darius is kind of like uh the last black man in San Francisco you know you have this story (laughs) featuring like all this black cultural talk but it's made by and directed by like white people you know and that just will never sit right so uh these white savior movies are definitely definitely a theme in the movie industry so hopefully we can root those out but man we will see when y'all say white savior movies go more in depth what does that kind of explain a little better Darius. so for me i think there are a couple things that make a movie a white savior movie in my personal opinion i think that if okay so i don't think the goal of any movie should be to just outright make you just completely uncomfortable However, I feel like if white people can watch a movie and be like, oh my gosh, that was horrible. Thank God racism is over. Like, I think that is like not, not ideal in any case. And I think that that's a hallmark of like a lot of these white savior movies. It just basically makes white people feel comfortable with like their own racism because like it, it puts characters on, on display. I feel like they present these racist characters that are so racist that it almost makes any other act of racism seem not as bad, if that makes sense. So like, you know, if I can watch a movie and, you know, basically there's one character that's just like only refers to black people by the hard ER, is burning crosses on people's yards, like whole nine, like clan hood, the whole movie, that whole sort of a thing. It makes, you know, Brad and Chad, who can't refer to a black woman without using the term chocolate, like it makes them feel cool. Ooh. Uh, you know, Megan and Brittany, 
who can't get on an elevator without clutching their purses or whatever, it makes them feel cool too. Cause you know, they have their black friend that they like to associate with and they're just like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe you have to go through this or like your people went through this or whatever. But like it enables them to just like ignore all the problems that not only happen today, but they actively contribute to today. Ooh, uh, Darius, that is a, a great description. Uh, I feel like that's all, all you need to know about white savior movies. They enable that kind of thinking. And I think the most dangerous thing is there's always someone in the movie, well, the white savior in the movie, that people in the audience can kind of like identify with and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not that person over there that's beating people up or burning crosses. I'm this person. I'm the one that's like cool with them, you know? Like, so that whole white, white savior mentality is like, it, it's very strategic and it's very harmful uh, because so many people can associate themselves no matter what they do and all the microaggressions, the, the Sally's and the Megan's and stuff do. Yeah. Uh, it, it's always going to be like, oh yeah, but I'm not that over there. Okay, and then so I'm going to go kind of go back to this film specifically. And so they get through the north, and then whenever they started going through the south, which was like, I feel like kind of the critical part of the movie, wherever uh, the white guy was named Tony was needed, you, I thought it was pretty, I'm not, I'm not going to definitely want to say we're interesting again. Whenever Don went into the bar and was end up getting beat up, and then so one of the band members come and get Tony, is like, yo, you got to come help him out. And it seems like he was just beaten up like that just for being black in the southern part of the country. Yeah, um, and I think the movie was set up like that uh, intentionally. Like, the further they got down south, the more, I guess, heinous the acts against Don were. There were, like, subtle microaggressions uh, in the beginning and, like, throughout the middle. But as you got deeper into the movie and deeper into the south, it's like, oh, yeah, now you can't even eat here. Now you can't, uh, you can't go to the bathroom here you have to drive all the way back to your hotel 30 minutes away to use the bathroom and then we'll wait on you to come back. So uh, I definitely think that that was intentional. Um, And maybe that's a little bit of foresight into how far behind the South still is uh, and how bad it was in the past as well. I think the flip side of that too, I think there was a scene and I think it was kind of towards the end where like they're driving back up North and they see a police officer and like obviously there's like the oh my god moment but then like the police officer ends up just being like helpful or whatever yeah and then like that's how you kind of know that they're back up north like oh wow like we crossed the mason dixon line like racism just over now like that's not at all how this works but i mean i guess we'll go with it mm-hmm. yeah i think it's like it's like it's just a tire if i'm not mistaken it's like, oh your tire's flat okay let's help y'all get there they head back up to the north to everybody's home so don decided to drive them back up north because tony was tired was gonna pull over and but don understood that it was important for tony to get back home in time for christmas eve they have the whole celebration but don is sitting at home he's been he doesn't really have much of a family from what i understand some of his family is kind of diverse into different places and stuff like that um adarius you were talking about how uh, they cross this Dixie line and that's where it's like, oh, racism is over. We're back in a safe space. And it, it was kind of like the opposite of that when they were in the heart of the Deep South and they came across that those two police officers and they were like, hey, did you know that this was a sundown town? 
and uh there was a little bit of that in lovecraft country um and i wasn't i wasn't too sure what a a sundown town was before looking it up and hearing my mom talk about it while we were watching lovecraft and for the viewers out there uh sundown town is a town that uh if someone was traveling through it or someone was uh living in it a black person couldn't be in the town in the city limits after sundown so whatever time the sun actually went down and got dark uh it was therefore illegal for any black person to even be within the city limits um so whenever tony and don were driving late uh tony didn't even think about this um and i don't know if don had heard about it or whatever but uh, the cops informed him, like, yeah, he cannot be here. This is a sundown town. And then there was violence that ensued after that, and they ended up in jail. Um, so, yeah, a little historical uh, context right there with the sundown town as well. The only time I had ever heard of the sundown town was I heard about Texas. I think one of the cities or something like that in Texas. But, yeah, so I was happy. Not, once again, not happy they put that in there. But I'm happy they did offer some context there for people to kind of understand that, which I think what the best films do is that they kind of throw something in there for, for you to kind of learn a little bit. And it's like, oh, okay, now I learned something coming out of this thing, and I know more than I did when first starting to watch it. I think, and that's interesting, because, like, one of my actual problems kind of with the movie was the fact that, like, as we talked about in the beginning, the name comes from you know, this book that Black people needed to have and needed to be aware of in order to safely travel throughout the U.S. because of situations like, you know, being in a sundown town or whatever. And it kind of talks about that, but it, you don't really get the full, like, impact of like, okay, Don could have died. Like him going to jail in the scene, which he did, was actually like, hockey the best case scenario. Like, mans could have like, like not even just died, but like could have been lynched like could have died in like the most horrific way possible. And that was something that like happened regularly. And I think that like the movie definitely, I think it downplays that a lot. Granted, would it have been historically accurate with the story? No, but was there other glaring historical inaccuracies with the movie already? Yeah, so like I said, a lot of choices were made. I think it definitely does downplay it a lot, but I do agree that I think that it's something that I think we should be talking about more. And I think it was very interesting that they did choose to kind of highlight it in some way, at least. Um, this is a little bit switching gears, but there were so many cringeworthy parts in this movie that just made me, as a Black man, just just feel some type of way. And I think the hallmark one uh, was when Tony was trying to teach Don how to eat fried chicken in the car. He's like, come on, man. You you know how to eat fried chicken. All y'all like fried chicken. Yeah, all y'all like it. I heard that. Like <laughs> come on now. And like Don, obviously, he doesn't indulge in that type of uh like diet or anything. Like he's probably way above that. So I mean to say that he knows how to eat fried chicken is something that's not true at all. Um, but just the fact where he's like forcing him, he's like, here, take it, man. He's like, nah, I'm good. He's like, no, 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 here, 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 here. <laughs> and he's just like giving it to him. I'm like, yo, come on now. Did the movie have to include this part? Like, was this historically accurate? 
I really hope that it wasn't because if that was me in the backseat, I don't care if that's my best friend driving me around. He's getting a slap to the face, bro. If he's trying to put some fried chicken in my face. And then, you know what? That actually makes it make a lot of sense now why the family said they want nothing to do with it. Because stuff like that, it's like, my goodness, did y'all teach them anything? <laughs> and it's like, the other thing you got to think about is like, it's not like you, it, okay, it's bad enough to do that with somebody that you consider a friend. But if, if assuming that the timeline of this movie is like historically accurate, they'd only known each other maybe a couple weeks at this point. And not only that, this is very much your boss. <laughs> you are on the clock right now, and this is what you choose to do? Nah. No. And this so essentially, um, the white man ends up culturing up the black man throughout the film, which was cool. And I thought it was really cool. When I think they were at the last, their last um, bar, I guess you could say. And the black guy was not, Don was not able to go into, to eat at the club or what, or they were supposed to be playing at. So he decided to leave. They go to the black place. And I thought it just spoke to how black people are. It's like they're at an all black club. Tony is there and Tony's a white guy, obviously. And the black girl kind of looks at him. He's like, huh, we'll kind of let him in. But meanwhile, if those would have been the opposite way around, it would never work like that. It just shows to show you how black people are always so welcoming. And if they don't necessarily like you, we still going to let you in. We're not going to, you know, a lot of times these be like, they pour stuff on the black people and stuff like Black folk don't do stuff like that to outsiders. That is facts. And there was another cringeworthy scene where he was trying to tell him, well, it seems like all the cringeworthy scenes happen in, in the car while they're driving because, uh, Tony is just trying to, I guess, culture up Don. And he's listening to the radio. He's like, hey, you know who this is? And Don's like, yeah, this is Little Richard. And then he's going through uh, more of the channels. Then he's like, oh, yeah, you got to know who this is, Aretha Franklin's plan. He's like, oh, no, I don't. He's like, you don't know Aretha Franklin? And then later in the film, he's like, hey, I'm more Black than you. And this is another reason. Again, this is an ongoing theme. This is not a political podcast. But when Joe Biden says things like, uh, oh, if you don't vote for me, you're not black. This is, is all like some of the things that tie together where it's like, how are you as a white man going to tell a black man what it is to be black, you know? And I really liked the deeper theme that they were alluding to here, where it's like, hey, us as black people, we are not a monolith. We don't all eat fried chicken. We don't all know who Aretha Franklin is. I mean, you should, for sure. <laughs> Let me stop and say that. But it's like, we don't all engage in the same activities. There's some people that like to do this. There's some people that like to do that. But at the end of the day, we're all Black, and that's okay. So that deeper uh, theme that they were alluding to there is like something that I feel like even us inside of the culture don't really understand yet, where it's like, hey, there's other pe people that can do different things. And yeah, they're still just as Black as me. There's no set things that you do to be considered black. That was all over the place. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's key. Definitely a very cringeworthy moment. There were several points to this movie that I, I saw. I, didn't, I obviously didn't watch in the theaters. There were several key points where I just had to pause it and walk off because I was like, <laughs> I can't. I, I can't. <laughs> but um, that being one of them. But I do think that's a good point because I think a lot of us do get so caught up in like what black is and what black is and like, oh, uh, and this is something, I mean, we've, pro we've definitely experienced like, oh, like I went to a PWI versus like going to an HBCU, like am I black? All of it at the end of the day means absolutely nothing 
there's so many things that we as black people have to face on a day-to-day -day basis to where these little tiny minuscule arguments like i don't even know why we continue to have them but apparently i don't know you kind of need black people to do different things to kind of fill out the earth so you need some people to like sports you need some people to like art you need some people to like soul food you need some people to be vegetarians you kind of need people to be very different that kind of what makes as you know that old so different strokes fill the world yes it does y'all know that that's what, <laughs> that's what you kind of need to fill the whole thing out Matt, uh, two things right there. Since we're on the theme of white savior movies, that is the most white savior TV show of all time. It definitely uh, of all time. Yo, for the audience, if you not, if you guys do not know about Different Strokes, go look this up. And if you want to know the definition of white savior <laughs> films, uh, an even better definition than the great one that Darius gave us, this show is the epitome of white savior. Uh, and for the people that don't look it up, it is literally a rich white man. He goes <laughs> into the hood and saves two black kids and takes them back to live with them and be their dad. Like, come on, there, there is no other explanation of a white savior film than that. So if you don't know, just go look it up and go see even just the theme song. It, that's all you need to know. <laughs> That is the white savior national anthem. It's just a different strokes theme. So. <laughs> that is a well, I, I was about to say I watched that show one summer. BET had it playing. You know, BET, our favorite uh, network. They had it playing, <laughs> <laughs> and it, I really enjoyed it. Willis and what, what's his other name? Willis and what's that yeah, Arnold. Arnold. Yeah, yeah. That's my. I wonder when that show came out. Y'all think like that was the, uh, in the it was in the seventies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, it was, yeah, it was in the 70s, uh, which makes sense historically uh, because you get post-civil rights movement. Um, and then I guess Black people being slowly integrated into society and then you get these atrocities like this. This is actually crazy because I had to work on this assignment at, uh, at work <laughs> and I had to like prop, hey, this is a little white savior-ish. Um, but <laughs> man... It, even if you deconstruct the lines of the theme song, um, it's just so divisive and so just very, very cringeworthy. So um, really glad that we have moved past that in a sense. Maybe it's not as uh, blatant as it is in different strokes, but it's still going on in all these different movies like uh, Green Book, Hidden Figures, Radio, all these different ones. So, oh, man. <laughs> The Blind Side is another one. Mm. And I th I think the thing that's crazy for me, so like Green Book, for example, it won the Oscar for Best Picture. Which says a lot. There, was some, there were some, there, okay, Black Panther came out the same year. Black Klansman was another one that came out that year. If Bill Street Could Talk. I'm pretty sure Roma came out that year too. I didn't watch Roma, but I heard it was good. Blind Spotting, which is like critically acclaimed movie. Again, haven't seen it, but I heard it was good. All of those movies... I'm fairly certain. I don't think any of them had a white director, white writers, any of that. Very diverse cast casting. And you picked the one white savior movie to come out. That's not only did it win Best Picture, at the Golden Globes, it won Best Best Musical or Comedy. It first of all, it wasn't a musical. And it was only funny because it was like low-key racist. <laughs> like the, those are the only funny parts of it. So like what are we 
I know what we're saying by like awarding this movie, but like, what are we saying? You start to hear a lot of people, whether it be like black producers or directors or whatever the case, showrunners are saying like, at this point, they don't even mess with the award ceremony because they know a lot of times their films aren't going to win. It's like, we'll just go to NAACP awards and compete there. So that's definitely becoming a common trend and, and yeah, something I've noticed. Yeah. Um, and backing up a little bit to the whole notion that black people are a monolith, they like the same things, or there's a checklist of things you do to be considered black. Um, you can see that's a very, very dangerous narrative, not only for people that aren't in the culture, but the people that are experiencing it, like Don in the movie. Um, and this speaks to a little bit to intersectionality, where it's like, he felt like he didn't fit in on either side because he wasn't <clears throat> he wasn't so much in the white culture like he was there in a sense but he's always going to be black and then whenever he's speaking to black people or he's interacting with them they're like oh you too high and mighty to uh talk with us or he's like nah i'm really just not trying to play the games that y'all are playing like that's it like i'm still black so you can see all of that uh, bent up tension come out when uh, Tony tells him, he's like, yeah, I'm more black than you. So I can definitely feel, uh, I guess, the the anger that he felt because he's like, man, no matter what I do, even though I'm being 100% authentically myself and I'm a su successful person, like I have money, like I can do whatever I want to do. Um, but still it's like, hey, you're never going to be enough. And I know I alluded to it before, but it's like that line that Drake says where it's like, I used to get teased for being black and now I'm here. And I'm not black enough. It's like, man, if you're on these little corners of intersectionality, it's like you can feel like a loner and like you're always going to be alone because you never fit in anywhere. And also to like to add even more fuel to that fire, like Don was also gay. So like even factoring in that just like takes it to a whole other level of like dang, well, I, got, I really don't fit in yeah. anywhere. And so, yeah, and I can only imagine what it's like to be going through all that. Like, going through all of that today is already, like, bad enough. But then, like, going through that in, like, the 1960s, when, like, things were on all sides, it just was, like, horrible. So, yeah. I would say with the intersectionality, you hear this a lot with kids who are mixed. Like, you know, one parent might be one. One parent might be black, one other parent might be white. A lot of times those kids have the problems. I'm not black enough for this group. I'm not white enough for this group. So I'm kind of just here. And obviously that's, you can usually, that's visual. So it's like, you can see that and kind of be put outside of both circles. Yeah. And, and Matt, like you were alluding to uh, a little bit earlier, it really does benefit us as a culture, but also the world to have so many different people doing different things and being interested in different things. Like, I think this perfectly ties it together. You wouldn't have Naomi Osaka doing things, playing tennis, which is considered a white sport. Um, Tiger Woods playing golf, which is considered a white sport. And all these black people in these other fields that are considered not really for us. And it's like, you see the success that some people have and you see the success that Don had in the movie. He was a, a great pianist. Um, but if you leave it to people in our culture, outside of our culture, that have this kind of one-track mind of what the Black experience is, then you can, all of these talented people would fall through the gaps if it was up to them, you know, like people just, I, I guess we don't really understand 
that there's so many different things to do out there and there's so many unique personalities that are out there and all of it all of it is under the umbrella of being black if you're black like you know yeah so the thing to do is to go into hopefully like obviously go wherever your talents tell you to go go there and then open the door for other people to come behind you and look like you and then we find black excellence and things like that what's that uh that quote um which talent am i gonna use to like take over the world today or something like that Eric Thomas, you should wake up. Eric Thomas said this. I was listening to some more of his stuff. I was telling Josh about it. But you wake up in the morning like, which talent should I use today to make money? I absolutely love it. That is a game changer for me. I need to get a poster or something that on one of these walls. But that's it. That's what it is. You wake up in the morning. Because to go into more detail, he said, you are an ATM. He's like, you personally are an ATM. Just figure out what your talents are, which is why I keep emphasizing to people, you need to make sure you have good friends around you. Because sometimes even if you struggle with maybe figuring out your own talent, you may not you may see it as not being really that great. Your friends should be able to tell you that. And it's like, okay, so you have these talents. Now you're an ATM, use one, make money, and then live the American dream, whatever that is. A man of Darius brought up Matt's favorite quote. He says it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> what am I gonna use today? There's <laughs> nothing, y'all, there's absolutely nothing better than somebody like I can, I'm talking to somebody, I can tell they've never heard that before. And it's like, yeah, I just don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm like, oh man, this is the perfect time. You've come to the right place at the right time. So we love, and I'm getting more of them. I'm getting back on my Eric Thomas uh, mode now. So y'all, there are for sure many more of those to come. So make sure y'all go check out the movie. Uh, wow, I should know the name of it. What's the name of the movie? Green Book. <laughs> Green Book. <laughs> hey, we're, hey, we're leaving that in too. <laughs> Hey, y'all, make sure y'all go check out the movie Green Book. Excellent movie. Go listen to some Eric Thomas. Shout out E.T., the hip-hop preacher. And, um, yeah, that's – and go Texans. <laughs> I will also say go Naomi Osaka. Keep killing the game. You're out there. It's probably a good uh, idea to mention her. I will also say go register to vote. That's Ooh. my yes. my my thing. <laughs> Definitely. probably the most important of them all <laughs> man hey and I, I know we're about to wrap up here but uh it, it's getting crazy close to the election yo seeing how things are playing out now and how they will are forecasted to play out over the next three four-ish weeks it's like oh man things are really starting to shake up but yeah definitely get out there and vote everyone definitely Trump wins they're gonna be some riots I'm telling you all right now Ooh, there's gonna be some riots we're gonna have part two out here if he wins that election uh so we're gonna see what happens there was a lady i probably shouldn't be saying this we're opening up the floodgates here there was a lady i was at usc for some type of like a meeting or something like that. there's a white lady that's on stage i'm pretty sure she practices law or she's talking to political science i don't know what it was and she was like y'all want to hear a hot take because she could tell people weren't really paying attention to what she was talking about and she's like y'all want to hear a hot take and everybody's like yeah what's up she's like i almost can guarantee y'all trump is gonna win and we're like oh my god like first of all you don't come up in here saying that and then i think it's the majority of black people but that definitely got everybody's attention but all that to say so like i said if trump does win again donald we call him donald on this podcast if donald wins it then there will be some riots out here so uh what is six like saying that song Grab your lover's time to ride. Yeah, that, get, get that. <laughs> nah, I honestly, I I could see there being some little uprisings either way. Cause, and I've I've said it before. I'll say it again. I really I want a squad of friends that ride for me as hard as P, Donald's people ride for him. <laughs> right, wrong, indifferent. 
I could be just just as wrong as wrong could be, and they will still ride like none other. Uh, so yeah, his supporters are loyal, if nothing else. Uh, and the, I mean, I guess the same, well, Biden's people, it, he doesn't necessarily have the same loyal followers. We would just hate to see Trump again, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I can see something popping off either way. Hopefully, it doesn't. Fingers crossed. Prayers going up, but yeah, no. I wouldn't be surprised. You were telling the truth about Trump supporters. <laughs> the the most loyal Trump supporters. You can show them a video of Donald <laughs> Trump saying something crazy, and they're like, "Nah, that's got to be edited. <laughs> that's got to be wrong, bro." They will literally go to bat over this man. And not saying that all Trump supporters are just <laughs> this crazy people out here. Maybe, maybe they are. Maybe they're not. But not saying that they are. But the people that go so hard for him. Well, it's like they're like he's a part of their family, like he's their father, like their brother, somebody that they really have to just stand up for. And I'm like, you should never be that attached to someone in politics, man. You really shouldn't. It doesn't behoove you at all. Yeah, everybody definitely in politics. It seems like everybody has the dark side to them. And it's like that's definitely present. But Darius, you said that very well. That's actually a really good point. It's like you hear you got Trump people. You don't really hear too much about Biden's people. It's like, we just don't like Trump. <laughs> you don't really hear that. Now, obviously, if you're a Biden person, make sure you hit us up on the social. Tell somebody else to the podcast. Got to throw that out there. But you just don't hear about him too much. You don't see too many Bidens in people's yards. At least around here, I don't. Uh, it's just kind of like, yeah, we got to go ahead and vote for him just to keep the uh, the orange one out of office. Mm. Trump is bro. We don't, like, obviously, we have some disagreements. But don't, like, you know, send the CIA after me. I'm, I'm doing mighty fine over here. <laughs> <laughs> hey yo wait before we go though isn't it crazy how last episode we were talking about all the the contract stuff uh in the music industry with mills and then the very next day kanye goes off on all these different uh tweet rants talking about his contracts and all this it really does make it seem like he'd be listening to the podcast they thought we were lying when we said kanye be listening but obviously he's listening obviously. <laughs> Yeah, and his people reached out to my people. They said they might, she might try to bring him on an episode or something like that. So I told him we gotta work out the numbers or whatever. Might have to get some Yeezys, but we gonna because he's definitely listening at this point. Yeah. So I just figured it'd be best to reach out. Stay tuned. I was gonna say he definitely did hear me say that I wear an eleven and a half. Uh, y'all know the U.S. mail. Uh, there's a whole lot of stuff going on with that, so I'm just assuming it's just backlogged or whatever. It's coming. Uh, so, but yeah, Kanye, I know you got me. Never worried about it. Just any day. <laughs> Just wait on it. <laughs> Appreciate you, brother. Hey, I know the listeners are probably like, y'all, go ahead and wrap up this episode. <laughs> so we're, we're going to wrap it up, but uh, another episode in the books. Appreciate y'all listening, as always. This is another episode of the Dominate the Decade podcast. Peace. Darius. Y'all not going to say you. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> It's that type of episode, guys. Peace. If I want it, then I'ma get it. Living every day like it's Christmas. Cause I'm gifted. And I know I'm a gifted. And I know that I'm gifted. And I know I'm a gifted. Uh, I got a whole lot of people that's been counting on me.